hitting the hot spots. Right now, we have a lot of transmission in communities across the province. The places you're most likely to be infected as hospitalizations spike for those under the age of 60. Restart delayed. Why the Vancouver Canucks won't be back on the ice as soon as many had hoped. And charges in a high-profile stalking case. This guy's literally been following me in circles. How this video led to charges in other cases, too. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The latest COVID-19 modeling from the BC government has some sobering information about where we could be in the near future. Dr. Bonnie Henry saying if British Columbians don't cut back on their social contacts, we could be headed for 3,000 new cases per day. Richard Zussman reports. covid Boom! We need to pay attention again. Metro Vancouver's hospital system under pressure. For the second straight day, the province hitting a record high of people in hospital with COVID-19 from 303 on March 22nd to 409 now. The numbers of people who really just are not following public health guidelines uh, really concerns nurses because they know what will happen if they get infected. Um, Many of them will get very sick. The largest growth in hospitalizations among those aged 40 to 59. And it could get worse. The province's current trend line in red. Unless people reduce their contacts, we could see nearly 3,000 new COVID cases a day by the end of April. And that will lead to more hospitalizations. Right now, the rate of infectious contacts, so the contacts we're having where the virus can be transmitted to others, on average in the province, is somewhere around 55 to 60 percent. That is too high. But where the virus is less likely to spread? Schools. Provincial data from Fraser Health show cases go up when kids are on break and go down when they're back in the classroom. And of the 2,049 total cases in Fraser Health schools, just 267 acquired there. I know there's a lot of of, uh, talk about we need to close schools to stop transmission in the community, and we're not seeing that as an issue. In the last few days, We've seen record numbers of school exposure notifications. That is not reflected in this data. The province not announcing any new restrictions on Thursday or formally extending the ones that expire on Monday. But they did announce a plan to move vaccines to hotspots. Moderna and Pfizer will be given to school staff, childcare, as well as first responders in Fraser Health and Vancouver Coastal Health, starting in North Delta and the Tri-Cities at some point in the next few days. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And here's a look at today's COVID-19 numbers. We hit a few new records today. We have 1,205 new cases, bringing BC's total to 116,075. Daily records have been set for both those in hospital, 409, and those in the ICU, 125. There are currently 10,052 active cases and more than 16,000 people in self-isolation. And sadly, three more people have died from COVID-19 in BC. Keith Wald rejoins us now with more on today's modeling and Keith, a lot to unbundle out of today's press conference, including Mm -hmm. the top workplace exposures. 
Yes, indeed. So the modeling did include data of hundreds of cases between February and March in both Vancouver Coastal and Fraser Health. And it's noticeable there's a lot of uh, similarities between the two health authorities of where the virus is spreading, what type of work sites, but there's also one notable exceptional least difference. Take a look at the Vancouver Coastal cases. First of all, restaurants and bars lead the way with uh, 70 work sites. Individual work sites have had cases, 155 total cases there. Fitness uh, studios and gyms are second. Office buildings close behind and industrial and manufacturing is the fourth house. But Fraser Health, you can flip this around because in Fraser Health, industrial and manufacturing far and away is the most dominant place where the virus spreads, followed by restaurants and bars and fitness studios and gyms and office buildings as well. So that's very similar to Vancouver Coastal. And of course, the numbers are greater in Fraser because there's so much more COVID, number, uh, COVID cases there. Now, a lot of these cases being driven by the arrival of the variant cases, the variants of concern. Dr. Bonnie Henry today saying, it doesn't matter whether it's variants or not, our measures that we have to employ to get rid of this thing remain the same. We're saying the same things as the, the modelers have saying, that we need all of us collectively to reduce our infectious contacts. So that's reducing those indoor contacts where we're not using masks, where we have poor ventilations, where we're not keeping our distance. That is something we all need to do right now. And again, back to the hospitalization, Sophie, we again at a record number today. We're going to get more detailed breakdown on Monday from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix about the state of our hospital system, which Adrian Dix said today, we are not in danger of overwhelming the system. There's still significant capacity and vacancy in ICUs, hospital beds and ventilators, but more on that on Monday. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, while Dr. Bonnie Henry's message is clear that we have to stop indoor gatherings, the arrival of beautiful spring weather is making it very tempting and very easy for people to get together outside. The temptation to meet up with friends on a restaurant patio is strong, but the ongoing guidance from the province's top doctor remains the same. Small outdoor gatherings, preferably with your household members or the same small group, and as always, masks need to be worn if there's any close contact. I do think it's important for us to go outdoors. And I think all of us should be going outdoors every day and um, making sure that that's part of how we keep ourselves together through this ever, never-ending pandemic. So the risk is not zero if you're sitting on a patio with somebody right now. Um, the risk is, is less, though, than inside. And underscoring that point, health officials in Saskatchewan are now investigating an outbreak of at least 21 cases tied to an outdoor gathering. NHL has put the Canucks season back on ice following concerns expressed by players about this week's return to play. Squire Barnes is here to talk more about that. Squire, uh, you ran it yesterday in the sports. Uh, forward JT Miller speaking out, saying he felt the team was being rushed back onto the ice. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. It's kind of crazy. Um, I know that everybody's got a job to do, but to expect um, pretty much our entire team to be ready to play and one practice in a pregame skate is a little bit hard to comprehend. He was pretty clear and pretty open and honest yesterday, Squire. And I think if he hadn't said that, and if it hadn't got as much play as it did, not just here, but all around North America, the NHL might have tried to keep the Canucks to the original schedule, which was practice today 
and play tomorrow against the Edmonton Oilers. Now, that game tomorrow against the Edmonton Oilers is now postponed. We will get a new schedule tomorrow from the NHL. The Leafs are supposed to play the Canucks Saturday and Monday. The guess is that they may move that to Sunday and Monday since Toronto will be here over the weekend anyway. But at the moment, the Canucks will not have to play a game tomorrow. They did practice today, and we are told they had over 20 people on the ice, including some coaches, not Travis Green, though. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, uh, at least they are now practicing in a group, which is better. Well, hopefully Travis Green is okay and, and all the players who were um, hit with COVID. But tell us a little bit more about who's being cleared and who's still on the COVID list. Well, they are down to three on the COVID list. I believe it's now Schmidt, Vertanen, and Hoaglander. So everybody else is off the list. And, you know, you think about it, last week pretty much the entire team was on the list and they've just gotten off the list now. And that was one of the concerns that JT Miller uh, pointed out yesterday. Look, we just basically got out of our sick beds and you expect us to have one practice and then go play not just one game against the Oilers, but a game the next day against Toronto and then two days later against Toronto. Mm-hmm. A pretty packed schedule to get in the rest of the season. All right, as you said, uh, no game tomorrow, but maybe we'll see We'll, we'll know tomorrow what the schedule is going forward. Yep. All right. Thanks, Squire. We'll get more from you in sports. You can add customs agents to the growing list of those wanting to be prioritized for a COVID shot. The Customs and Immigration Union says Vancouver and Calgary are the only two international airports in the country where its members have not been offered vaccines. They argue more than 120 flights landing at YVR from world hotspots this year have had at least one confirmed COVID case on board. And an outbreak among customs agents could have an impact on the BC economy. So, for example, we have our members at uh, Delta Port and Vancouver Port who clear, uh, clear and screen the, all the commercial ships that come in. An outbreak at, the, at either of those ports would be catastrophic because these members are already understaffed. If uh, and the, and these these are positions that are highly specialized. We can't just pull people in to do these. So any outbreak, uh, for example, at the Delta or Marine Port would significantly back up the ship traffic. A case of domestic violence has erupted into gunfire in a Chilliwack townhouse. One man is dead and a woman is in hospital with life-threatening injuries in what appears to be an attempted murder-suicide. John Hua reports. First, it was a startling sound that caught their attention. A big bang and pop from an exhaust pipe. What some neighbors said they heard next has left everyone living in this Chilliwack townhouse complex shaken to their core. She actually ran outside yelling he killed her. Chilliwack RCMP responded to the report of shots fired at about 8.30 a.m. The townhouse unit on Watson Road quickly taped off as a crime scene. They located a woman who is suffering life-threatening injuries, believed to be consistent with a shooting. They also located a male who is deceased on scene. An elementary school across the street was placed on a temporary hold and secure order, which also allowed an air ambulance to land and take the female victim to hospital. It shocks me to be uh, that close to a school. I can't believe that happened. So obviously a heavy police presence in the area uh, during a time where school, you know, was just about to begin. But we were able to determine that there was no threat to public safety. Police confirmed the two people involved knew each other, but did not provide information about a third person, possibly a family member, who may have witnessed the shooting. Some neighbours say this may not have been the first time police were called to the unit. Usually 
it's like, oh, there was a constant disturbance, but no, nothing. Like, it was one time, and then this happened. As word of a possible attempted murder-suicide ripples through this community, some say it's hard to believe this could happen here. This is just, it's tragedy. It's a sad, sad story. The integrated homicide investigation team has been called in. Neighbors normally used to the happy sounds of children heading to school are now left heartbroken by what they heard on this tragic morning. John Hua, Global News, Chilliwack. The suspect in a chilling broad daylight stalking episode that came to light last month has been arrested and charged. The victim in this case recorded the suspect following her for several minutes, and as Nadia Stewart reports, it likely helped police charge him with a number of other crimes in the downtown core, too. It's that disturbing video of a man seen following a woman in downtown Vancouver, and the woman who recorded it says she is relieved and sincerely hopes that police have indeed found the man who was seen following her. Take a look at the video now. The woman who recorded it is Jamie Coots. She was on her way just to run some errands when a man wearing a mask began following her. She says he followed her for about 40 minutes as she walked for blocks through Chinatown and Tinseltown to try and avoid him. Finally, she walked to a skate park nearby, and that's where she found safety in numbers. Her apparent stalker stopped following her, but the incident left her and many others who saw the video feeling very shaken. Now police say that they have arrested a 33 three-year-old man, Mohammed Majidpour, is charged with one count of criminal harassment. I know sometimes you think, well, what's going on behind the scenes? No one's saying anything, but that's the thing. It is all behind the scenes work that uh, we have to do and stuff takes time. And, and so we're very pleased to, to put forward these charges to Crown and, and they have been approved. There's a piece of me that would love to see a mugshot or something. Just some, Then I, instead of just getting the word that the right guy was arrested... Um, I could see it, right? And they're, um, they're not going to be releasing a mugshot or a picture. They're going to continue to just use the photos that I took. Police say the man has been charged in connection with other incidents. Coots is encouraging women to be mindful of their surroundings, not just when walking in downtown Vancouver, but anywhere they might find themselves in the metro area. Nadia Stir, Global News. Well, the Vancouver Aquarium now has something in common with Dolly Parton's Dollywood. From now on, they're owned by the same company. What that means for one of Vancouver's top tourist attractions and the locals who love it too, next on the News Hour. Leaked video of mysterious flying objects and what the Pentagon says about it coming up on the News Hour. And tearing down a symbol of great sadness to replace it with hope and happiness. Big changes coming to a remote B.C. community later. Right now, though, the Vancouver Aquarium will live to see another day. The famous, uh, famous Stanley Park attraction was facing permanent closure brought to its knees by the pandemic. Well, now it has a new U.S.-based owner. And as Ted Trenecki reports, it's the first time an aquarium has been sold in Canada. Sweet Georgia Brown, Vancouver's public aquarium is owned by a large American entertainment company that includes the Harlem Globetrotters and, yes, two aquariums, one in New Jersey, the other in Kentucky. We started out in the 1960s as a small family-owned caves attraction in the Ozark Mountains of Branson, Missouri. And today, this little cave attraction has now grown into a family of brands 
that collectively entertain more than 14 million guests annually. Other properties include Silver Dollar City, now Dollywood. There's Wild Adventures. There's the animation Splash and Bubbles. Yes, a heavy focus on entertainment. And that makes us very concerned that uh, animal welfare might not be a, a priority with them because their focus is with uh, amusement and entertainment. And our view is that animals don't exist for our amusement and entertainment. But the Hirsch End Empire already has what's long been argued Vancouver needs, a display where you are captive and the wildlife swims more freely. Finally, we have fantastic news. We found a solution. Vancouver will continue to have an iconic world-class aquarium. I've known Eric Rose and the Hirsch and team for many years. They're outstanding operators and they bring the same commitment to the highest levels of animal care that we do. Asked what the aquarium sold for, no number was given, but Vancouver was not in a great bargaining position. Around January, we knew that if we can't close a deal, if we can't find a solution this spring, our next step will have to be closing down the aquarium. But now the next step is opening up. As to when, as always, that's COVID-dependent. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Up next, the tax deadline looms. It was a struggle. It was a real struggle. So many financially stressed Canadians need more time to get their affairs in order. Will the government give them a break? And it's too soon for wildfire season, isn't it? How this one gave crews some early practice. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Where you will see a bit of a delay is eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. The deadline to file your income taxes is looming April 30th, if you didn't know. But because of the extra paperwork related to the CERB, work-at-home exemptions, and any number of other pandemic-related complications... Many Canadians say they're nervous about filing. As Catherine Urquhart reports, despite those concerns, there's no indication from Ottawa that any extensions are being considered. With the tax filing deadline only about two weeks away, Tegan Panolius is feeling a little panicked. Like so many other Canadians, she had a tough year in 2020. It was a struggle. It was a real struggle. I mean, I had to take three months off. Now, because Panolius benefited from CERB, the Canadian recovery benefit, she owes $850. With me being the only one working, like, I can't see a way to pay this off. Countless others are believed to be in a similar situation. According to a survey done for IG Wealth Management, 64% of us will have pandemic-related tax issues, 46% will have work-from-home claims, and 45% will have their taxes impacted by CERB or other pandemic benefits. Many of these government benefits had no tax withheld. So CERB, for example, had no tax withheld at all by the government. Uh, the more recent uh, recovery benefits have 10% withheld. IG's survey found 35% of Canadians get a professional to do their taxes. Of those who don't, 44% use tax software to get the job done. 7% still file a paper form. And 13% of us need help from a family member or friend in order to file. 
While the deadline to file has not been extended, there is some positive news for anyone who owes money. They may actually be able to defer uh, paying that tax until uh, April 30th of 2022, so a full year of tax deferral. So you still want to file your taxes on time. That extra time will hopefully provide some relief for Tegan and so many other Canadians who are struggling. There's lots of people out of work right now. There's a lot of people that are struggling. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And if it's getting harder and harder to keep the family fed these days, you are not alone. Prices for a variety of foods are climbing. And here to show us how to tackle the rising costs is Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And thanks, Chris. From meats to dairy products, food prices are expected to climb in 2021, much of that driven by disruptions to the food supply chain. As a result of the pandemic, now more than ever, it's important to manage those food costs. Do you know how much you're paying for groceries? You may want to start keeping track of your food bill. It is just what it is. It's all part of life. I spend more money. But because I go, because I'm not working and I go more often, but I get more stuff. According to Canada's food price report for 2021, a Canadian family of four is expected to pay an extra $695 this year for groceries. Over the last 20 years, the food price index has outpaced the consumer price index. The report predicts food prices could climb 3 to 5%. The biggest increase could be seen in vegetables forecast to jump between 4.5 and 6.5%. Meat, as much as 6.5%. Bakery goods, up to 5.5%. Fruits, between 2 and 4%. And dairy could climb between 1 to 3%. It's the pace, not necessarily prices per se. It's, 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 it's price volatility when prices change so quickly doesn't give a chance to to households to adapt impacting that price volatility the report references climate change oil prices and the devaluation of the canadian dollar and not surprisingly the pandemic which resulted in shifts in consumer demands slowdowns and closures at food plants and labor shortages meat products have been severely impacted by covid we've seen a lot of disruptions across the supply chain and uh, we believe that uh, that uh, that that impact uh, will will be felt again in 2021. So what can consumers do? The nonprofit Credit Counseling Society suggests setting a realistic budget before hitting the grocery aisle and plan your meals ahead of time. It's a classic. Everyone talks about it. And this comes after meal planning, but it, it helps so much because once you know what you're planning to eat for the week, it becomes a lot easier to make an accurate shopping list that you can stick to. Other tips include sticking to the perimeter of the grocery store to save you time and reduce buying items not on your shopping list. And consider using digital coupons. Many grocery stores offer them on their apps and online to save money and earn points. Simple suggestions to battle the sticker shock at checkout. Also try and comparison shop for the best price and shop for individual grocery store brands of food, which tend to cost less. The Credit Counseling Society also says groceries are the one area that surprises people in terms of why they are going over budget with their finances. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, and thank you. Still ahead, a family reeling after losing their son. He looked a lot like my wife, and uh, he, he's always smiling. Their powerful message for parents with children of any age. 
And a remote B.C. community tearing down a symbol of hate and replacing it with something to help them heal. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers, worth investing in. Counterflow is out at the Massey Tunnel and southbound traffic on Highway 99 is moving well. You'll see some overnight delays for maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The former residential school facility in Lower Post near the BC-Yukon border will be torn down. It follows decades of lobbying by local First Nations who say the building represents a legacy of physical and sexual abuse. In its place, a new cultural center is being built with $13.5 million in funding from the provincial and federal governments. I really believe that uh, this event can lead the way for Canada because all of Canada needs to heal from this. It's a national experience. Our governments need to heal, churches need to heal. And I think that we can really be a shining example. There are questions tonight about the length of time it takes Mounties to investigate one of their own. Global's Jules Knox has the latest on two alarming police incidents caught on camera in Kelowna and reports on the change that some are calling for to help speed up future investigations. So far we haven't had um, any news on where it's going or where it's headed. Constable Lacey Browning still under investigation for dragging UBC Okanagan student Mona Wang handcuffed down a hallway, pulling her hair and pushing her face down with a boot still lingering at the back of my head and I'm at a point where I just kind of want to move on. The wellness check carried out in January 2020. In early July, RCMP promised swift action on the file. I am anticipating we will have a report to Crown completed and advance the Crown Council by mid-July and we'll provide an update to you when that is done. After conducting an external review of the file, Abbotsford Police sent the investigation back to RCMP in September, calling for them to track down some of the key witnesses. It's now been seven months since that update. I kind of just wish we would get a wrap on things. Meanwhile, months after the incident involving Browning, Constable Ziggy Peterzak was videoed punching an allegedly impaired driver. After a nearly year-long investigation, the Crown charged him with assault this week. Retired police chief Cash Heat says even that took too long. The charge approval process in British Columbia moves at a snail's pace. We've probably had this officer on some type of administrative leave or desk duty for that period of time. Heat is calling for officer body cameras and believes that video evidence could help speed up costly investigations. It would save time in the long run and ultimately it would save a heck of a lot of taxpayer dollars. It's important to note that the assault allegation against Peterzak has not been proven. His first court appearance is on May 3rd. But Wang says she was happy to see some RCMP accountability. I feel really great that, you know, that person was able to find their justice. Um, it is a little disheartening because I'm still waiting. RCMP say the criminal investigation into Browning's actions is being handled by the Southeast District, and there's no timeline for when that will wrap up. 
Browning remains on desk duty. And RCMP say progress on the ongoing investigation is checked weekly. Jules Knox, Global News, Kelowna. A Langley couple is going public with their grief, hoping their story serves as a reminder to treasure the moments you have with loved ones. Last week, Bethany and Andrew Ellerman's 11-month-old son, Wesley, died in his sleep just hours after his parents were told not to bring him into hospital. Nitu Karcha has the story. This is his little bunny. He... He slept with us. What was once his son's favorite toy is now Andrew Ellerman's greatest comfort as he and his wife, Bethany, remember their baby boy, Wesley. He was our, our entire world from day one, especially with COVID. We just saw no one. It was just the three of us, and we just... We just uh, just bonded incredibly, and he was our world. And that world was filled with smiles, laughter, and positive energy, which is what little Wesley emanated. <laughs> but tragically, that laughter only exists on these videos as of five days ago, when the 11-month-old died in his sleep. It's just so scary that it went from zero to 100, like, while he was sleeping. After discovering Wesley had developed a fever, Bethany, a VPD officer, and Andrew, a police dispatcher, say they called 811. Then they said, you know, if his fever's coming down, just monitor it. Wesley's fever went down and hourly check-ins went well until 4 a.m. She just screamed at the top of her lungs, oh my God, Andrew. And, um, you know, it's something I'm reliving in my head. And then I went sprinting down the hallway. A mother's scream that now haunts him at night as they spend their days waiting for autopsy results. They still have no answers on what killed their otherwise healthy boy. Especially late, the more recent photos when he's older, they're really difficult for me to look at still. How could this happen to these amazing people, people that literally have dedicated their careers to helping others. Childhood friends Emily Jack Navorian and Bethany shared milestone moments in life, including giving birth to their sons eight weeks apart, envisioning a similar bond for Ari and Wesley. Just a mom's worst nightmare. A tragedy being made a little easier with the help of Wesley's grandparents. The tears will come and they do come, but right now the priority is to look after them because they need it and an outpouring of community love supporting the couple as they remain off work. The reason that I'm in my profession and Bethany's and hers is is we want to help people and I think trying to keep that in mind and keep that as our our mindset will uh, help us. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Up ahead, eerie video recorded by a Navy pilot. The Pentagon confirms it's real even if they won't say what it was. And a change that could sink boat rental companies coming up. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Bit of a reminder today that BC's fire season is on the horizon. About 45 firefighters had to carry equipment across open grassland in Chilliwack to fight the flames here. No structures are threatened, though a long ladder truck was brought in to protect a nearby industrial site. The fire covers about eight hectares and is within 250 meters of the Trans-Canada Highway. No word yet on what caused the fire. Well, boat rentals are a big part of summer holidays in BC, but it could get a lot more complicated and expensive. That's right, Transport Canada is considering new rules to require anyone who rents any type of boat to have a license first. That includes Sea-Doo's and other small boats with engines larger than 10 horsepower. Those rentals right now are exempt, 
Companies who make their living from boat rentals say the new regulations could put them out of business. My input, I think the government, uh, there is no need for this uh, to have any control. I personally never had a problem that the renter caused or there is no, there is absolutely no need for this because there is no issues caused on the water by people who are just renting a boat for a short period of time. Transport Canada issues 100,000 pleasure craft licenses a year. Right now, they're free, but the ministry is proposing to start charging a $15 licensing fee. The new rules, if they're adopted, could come into effect as early as the fall of 2022. Well, it'd be nice to be out on the water today, tomorrow, for the next several days in a row, Christy. Let's go sailing. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like this uh, ridge of high pressure is extending for another couple of days. We're anticipating it to break down on Tuesday. Now it's looking like Thursday, which is phenomenal. But we're getting the first reports of the first casualty of this big warm-up. Uh, Highway 51 between Dees Lake and Telegraph Creek is closed in both directions right now. And that's because of a washout. There's a lake just above the road. And uh, there was so, such significant snow melt in the area. But uh, apparently that lake released and then caused this washout on the road. So uh, We'll be checking into that and, of course, watching the rivers over the next little while as well. Here's a look at the daytime highs for today. Yes, 17 degrees at the airport, but just uh, in areas like Tawasson, Ladner, 19, and away from the water, 23, Langley, 24, and up to 27 degrees in Maple Ridge and Cultus Lake, 25 degrees in Asuyus today, up towards Lytton and Lillooet as well, that kind of warmth. And tomorrow and Saturday will be the hottest of the bunch. So don't forget, UV index is high. Our skin is not used to it right now, and high meaning six. So in 30 minutes, you have the potential of burning. You need a hat, sunglasses, sunscreen, and of course, a little bit of water, or find some shade if it's too hot. So there's your forecast for tomorrow, everyone. Across the south, this is where we'll likely see that 25-degree mark in some areas, and certainly into Saturday also. Same for us, away from the water. Nice and hot tomorrow, if you like the heat, that is. And then we will continue to see it on a Saturday, cooling off just a touch Sunday and into Monday. And as I mentioned, we're not expecting this to break down until Thursday now. So we're still talking about another six days of warmth. Here's your central windows weather window for tonight from Brenda looking out. I don't know what kind of flowers these are. There's a beautiful tree and you're seeing them or you likely will have seen them blossoming all across the Metro Vancouver region. Please let us know what kind of the flowers they are if you know. They're beautiful. Aren't they magnolias? I think you're, I think they are. I think they're magnolias. Pretty sure. Awesome. Yeah, they're beautiful. Our viewers will let us know. <laughs> they will, uh, because the truth is out there when it comes to magnolias and maybe something else. New video, some believe, is evidence we may not be alone in the universe. The Pentagon says this newly leaked video of flashing triangle-shaped objects that flew over a U.S. warship is real. They are characterized as unidentified aerial phenomena. UFO investigators released the clip and several other puzzling photos online. The video and photos were originally shared at an Office of Naval Intelligence briefing last May. No doubt, it's weird. <laughs> it is weird. That's There's the something same out look there for sure. When they, you go to the optometrist, they take a picture of your retina. Oh, that, that's right. It kind of looks like that, actually. Just like mm -hmm. that. All right, Squires, here we talked about the Canucks a little bit earlier. Hockey is off, at least in the short term. Well, yes, uh, no game tomorrow. But the Whitecaps, 
they are going to play for sure on Sunday. They've done everything they can to make their players feel at home, away from home in Utah. Everybody is in a comfortable place. Well, let's hope Lucas Cavallini is, because this is a guy who should be able to score no matter where he's hanging out. We'll talk about the Caps' upcoming season. Also tonight, with news the Vancouver Aquarium is being sold, a look at the long and sometimes controversial history of one of Vancouver's top attractions. Here's the Wines of BC question of the day. Globally, there are 18,500,000 acres of vineyards. How many of those acres make up BC's wine country? A. 4,168 B. 33,996 C. 8,831 D. 10,499 We'll be right back with the answer answer to today's Wines of BC question is D. BC wine production is small but quality focused with 10,499 acres of vineyards spread across the province. At full production, BC could produce just over 20 million liters of wine or about 2.2 million cases of wine in one year. Small but mighty, just like Squire. <laughs> Thank you very much. The NHL scheduler Squire getting uh, a, getting a lot of work these days. Yes, uh, and he has to do a lot of work for the Canucks and all the teams in the North Division. The game between Vancouver and the Oilers tomorrow has been postponed. That's official. And uh, that was the right thing to do, let's face it. This morning the Canucks did hold a practice, and it was a normal-looking practice, the most normal one they've had since the outbreak. The players were together rather than skating by themselves. There were over 20 players on the ice, some coaches. I don't think Travis Green was on the ice, though. Uh, Vancouver is supposed to play Toronto Saturday and Monday. I don't think they're going to play that Saturday game. Maybe the scheduler will change it to Sunday and Monday. The NHL will put out a new schedule tomorrow. And only three Canucks are now left on the COVID protocol list. Nils Hoaglander, Jake Vertanen, and Nate Schmidt. Bruins Islanders, and finally, well, he hasn't been there that long, but finally, Taylor Hall has a goal in a Boston uniform. Didn't get many in Buffalo, that's for sure. That's a little more like it, Taylor Hall. That's more vintage. The guy who did win the MVP a few years ago. 4-1 Boston over the Islanders. Well, the Whitecaps' first game of the season is Sunday, 7 o'clock our time against Portland. We should mention the game is live on AM 730, and the pregame show will start at 6. And this will be a home game for the Whitecaps, even though they aren't really home. They are in Utah, getting ready to start a season which, as we said yesterday, they're very optimistic about, despite being uprooted from Vancouver. The Whitecaps don't know if they'll even play a home game at BC Place this season, but they are about as prepared as they can be at their home away from home in Salt Lake City. Family members are with players and staff this time around, unlike last year in Portland, so everyone's more settled and in a better state of mind so that they can concentrate on soccer. I'm happy for, for everyone that everybody's in a comfortable place and um, the club has provided us with all the resources we need. 
Cavallini is a key figure, of course. He's already scored three preseason goals and is poised to increase production and leadership in his second season after a stuttering start last year. He's always involved. He's able to attack the box. He's able to be av available. And then we have to make sure that we surround him with the right service uh, based on the qualities he has. Cavallini can't do it all. The Whitecaps have gone out and signed some young, talented players from South America. 22-year-old Keo Alessandra from Brazil and 21-year-old Daver Casado from Colombia. The Whitecaps have had mixed results with South Americans, so they know to get the most out of these young talents, they need to make them feel as comfortable as possible. I'm patient if they do a mistake that sometimes I feel it's maybe cultural, you know, thinking that three minutes late with me, it's okay. No, three minutes late, you're late, you know, and slowly educating the players to all of that. That's the trick for the Caps, bring all of these players from different nationalities, religious backgrounds and beliefs, and turn them into a cohesive unit on the pitch. DeSantos is pretty confident that can happen. If the world was like our locker room, we would be in a very good world. It's incredible how the guys get along and there's no differences and they're all here for the good of the club. The CFL held its global draft today for players outside of North America. BC went with uh, an Australian kicker in the first round named Jake Ford. But Jake knows something about football, our style of football, because he did play college football in the U.S. For the second straight year, the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal has been cancelled because of COVID. It was on the schedule for June 13th, but health authorities in Quebec felt even without spectators, there was a chance the virus could spread, especially amongst volunteers. Formula One officials also were not very keen on going through a 14-day quarantine upon arriving in Montreal. So, they'll try again next year. All right, Squire, thanks very much. And here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Thank you, Chris. We're keeping an eye on that wildfire burning in Chilliwack. Dozens of firefighters are on scene keeping this open grassland blaze contained. No buildings were damaged, but measures had to be taken to protect one nearby site. And we'll hear from a mathematical biologist who has been working with the province on COVID-19 modeling. Why she thinks rapid testing could help bring down cases in known COVID hotspots like Surrey. Those stories coming up tonight at 11. All right, Jay, thank you. Up next, with a sea change ahead for the Vancouver Aquarium, a look back at what's made the facility such a fixture here. Well, from its humble beginnings in 1956, the aquarium has helped shape global understanding of ocean life, in particular, whales. Vancouver pioneered the practice of caring for and studying orcas in captivity. Linda Aylesworth has the story of a sometimes controversial landmark that has seen its share of ups and downs. When the Vancouver Aquarium first opened in 1956, it wasn't much to look at. The aquarium was a, sort of a sage green, one-story building, uh, 99 feet across the front and 150 feet long. Even so, it was Vancouver's first aquarium and quite something for the times. Back then, you know, television wasn't much, certainly wasn't color. So you got to see the real thing. And they all thought that was really important, for, particularly for kids growing up in Vancouver. 
From the beginning, the aquarium was a privately owned, not-for-profit facility dedicated to education and research. UBC's marine scientists depended on it. Because at the time, there was no labor, there was no, no place in the lower mainland that had uh, flowing seawater uh, to keep fish or other animals in. In time, it expanded. Marine mammals like sea otters were acquired. And by the late 60s, Scanna, the killer whale, joined the aquarium. A significant move in a time when whaling was still commonplace. Back then, there was public apathy. Nobody cared about whales. I mean, they just, they were resources to be used. But being able to see whales in person changed public perceptions. And guides like Catherine Poe were there to further the learning process doing the killer whale shows and taking people on tours through the aquarium and telling them all about the um, species that we have on exhibit. When cetaceans were eventually phased out of the aquarium experience, ticket sales, the main source of income, dipped a bit, but there were still so many reasons to visit. I think the aquarium was well on to weathering the issue of of not having cetaceans anymore, Um, and then along came COVID. And that was like a sledgehammer. And so today, for the first time in its 65-year history, the Vancouver Aquarium will have a new owner, a U.S.-based for-profit company. It was likely a solution like this or bankruptcy. And so I think it's good Vancouver gets to keep its aquarium. I hope those values are maintained and they stay and it, it continues to be a place of learning and a place of conservation. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, well, we will see what the future holds, but uh, they seem encouraged that at least they don't have to lock the doors mm-hmm. over there. I do as a kid remember yeah. being taken to the aquarium to see Scanna, and I think the other killer whale orca was Hayak, I think. That would have been great. thrilling. I remember coming here as great. a kid, too. Thrilling. Mm-hmm. To- Lots of great memories there, mm-hmm. and hopefully more to come. Uh, final mm-hmm. word on the weather, Christy? Sure. So about six or seven overnight tonight. Tomorrow we're expecting 19 degrees by the water and likely up to 27, 28 degrees out through the Fraser Valley. All right. Enjoy that sunshine, folks. And thanks for watching. Have a great night. Good night, all.